Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch. The skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy. When I was going through the rough patch, I came to one of two conclusions. One, either I'm destined to be unhappy forever because I keep hitting these existential crises every few years. And our society really only has two words for them. It's either a midlife crisis or a quarter life crisis. Or this crisis state is accelerating and we're all going to be experiencing it more frequently. As I started doing research for the book, I realized that the latter was really the case. And so one big concept for people to understand is that I've kind of co-opted pivot from Silicon Valley. This is certainly not a new word or a new concept. But typically when businesses talk about pivoting, it's to change strategy to save the business from collapse. Plan A didn't work, so now they have to pivot or die. And in our careers, it's different. Pivot is now the new normal. That actually pivot is a state of mind and it's a method that I've written about in this book that we can all get better at. Because if we're going to have to be and it's a privilege also to ask what's next as well. Part of, part of hitting a career plateau or a pivot point is a sign of our success. I'm Srini Rao, and this is the Unmistakable Creative Podcast, where you get a window into the stories and insights of the most innovative and creative minds who've started movements, built thriving businesses, written best-selling books, and created insanely interesting art. For more, check out our 500-episode archive at unmistakablecreative.com. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, What the f are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. 
they supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems. But getting therapy has its own problems too. Like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. As creators, we're always on the move. Whether it's a live podcast event, a pop-up shop, or a workshop, we're constantly interacting with community, and that's where Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe comes in. Imagine this. You're at a live event, a listener loves your merch, or a participant wants to sign up for your course on the spot. With Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, you can accept their payments right there and then, right from your iPhone so there's no extra hardware or no delays. Total game changer. It's not just for creators. Any business owner can do this. It's about making transactions smoother and much more personal, growing your business in your way. We've been using Stripe for our products and courses for a long time, and now with Tap to Pay on iPhone, you can take your business to the next level too. So visit stripe.com slash tap iPhone to learn more. Remember folks, with Tap to Pay on iPhone and Stripe, your business is always at your fingertips. Jenny, welcome to the Unmistakable Creative. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us. Thank you so much, Trini. It's an honor to be here. Yeah, it is really, really cool to have you here because you were probably one of the first 100 people that I ever interviewed when we started uh, the show as a podcast for bloggers. And, uh, you know, uh, it's cool to have you back because I know you have a new book coming out, which we will spend plenty of time talking about. But um, where I want to start, actually, is, you know, one of the things that I very distinctly remember uh, from our first conversation on the show was the number of references you made to your father. And so I wanted to ask you, what is the most important thing you've learned about life business, uh, whatever it might be from your dad that you have applied going forward? My dad is a perpetual learner. He reads books on evolution. It was really interesting because while I was working on Pivot, he was doing this an incredibly deep dive on scientific theory of revolution and evolution. And so there were so many concepts around evolutionary history and and psychology that he would share that related to pivots and pivoting our career or our business. So I've always had a fun time batting ideas around with my dad. He's an architect by training and a painter and a writer and a songwriter and a musician and a thinker. So really a, a renaissance man spirit that helps me kind of round out thinking and brainstorming. When I was a kid, if there was ever a paper placemat, he, my dad was the first one to get out pens and draw a scribble and tell us to finish the drawing. So it just, he's someone that has always stretched my thinking in really interesting ways creatively. Mm. That Renaissance spirit and that ability to stretch your thinking in creative ways, um, how, do, how do people develop that? Because I, I think that, you know, I look at that and to me, that's one of the most powerful things that you can bring into your work and probably one of the most necessary things given, you know, what an uncertain world we're headed for. Part of it is, expanding our definition of creativity. 
I even had someone say to me the other day that, oh, I'm, I'm a writer. And I, I had to correct them that actually, no, writing is pretty challenging for me. I, I enjoy thinking about big ideas and I like uh, creating order out of chaos and structure, as you know, from my templates over the years. But I don't consider myself a writer, actually. And when I write, I have to really kind of push myself to do the work, as Stephen Pressfield would say. But I'm really creative about making spreadsheets. Those are two <laughs> things you would never think you could hear in the same sentence. But actually, that my 10 years of tinkering around with systems thinking helped me when I was ready to unpack, okay, how do we become more efficient at answering the question, what's next? Uh-huh. Well, let me apply my systemization creativity to that. So I think that we can have more fun creatively if we let ourselves expand the definition of it and follow what feels good and not force ourselves all to be artists. I'm not a good visual thinker. I even love coding. That's why I created my first website in 2005. I loved coding, but I would always hit a wall at the visual aspects of it. So just like you partner with Mars Uh and other people who compliment you, I think that's a part of it too. Interesting. Um, you know, I, I think the, the the most interesting you said is, is you know, this question of what's next and applying systematic thinking to it. But before we get there, I want to talk about what led you to realizing that this was the question that you wanted to answer um, in your next book. Like walk us through sort of from the last time you and I spoke to arriving at this question. So for listeners who maybe some of you go all the way back to the beginning with Srini, but our first interview was back in 2008 or 2009. So a very long time ago. And at that time, my book and brand was Life After College. I was working at Google full-time doing coaching and career development. And when my book came out in 2011, I left. And that was a, a tough decision. And you know, I talked a lot about it. And I became known as the girl who left Google. Now it's a total cliche. Oh, I left my fancy tech job and started a business. Mm-hmm. But the, the what sparked Pivot was that I was able to ride the adrenaline of that for about a year and a half and then just slammed into a wall hard when I realized, oh, shit, I don't know what's next. And this time I don't have a paycheck funding that exploration. I knew I didn't want to talk about life after college for the rest of my career. (laughs) And yet I had no idea what I could create a movement around. What what was I looking toward? I'd become known as the girl who left things. Uh But what did I stand for? Who am I? You know, all these existential questions. And this time I I kind of put my business on hold and 2013 was a really tough year for me. And I just watched as my bank account dwindled down to zero. And it got to the point where I didn't know how I was going to pay rent in two weeks. I seriously questioned whether I was delusional to think I, to ever think I could make it as an entrepreneur and whether I needed to go get another job and move out of New York. And even though those things are okay, it's some people that is the answer. I knew it wasn't for me. And at that point, I found this little fire in my belly that said, like, this is unacceptable. This is my dream. I I was kind of angry that I've read over 400 business and personal development and finance and fitness books. If it's nonfiction, you name it, I've read it. And none of it was working. So in that moment, I, I just didn't want to give up yet. So I committed myself to really understanding and reverse engineering the change process, both for myself and so that I could help other people be more agile in the face of change. Because the truth is that we're all going to be asking and answering this question, what's next, much more frequently than we ever had to in the past. Mm -hmm. 
So I want to ask uh, briefly about the time at Google. What did you learn about people, relationships, success, and human behavior from the time at Google that you have applied to your business and your life going forward? Which I realize so, you could tell, probably talk for 20 years. Yeah, that. yeah that's a, it's a great question. So much of it is about collaboration. The, there's a term that some people may find annoying, but Googliness, that that was one of the things they would look for when hiring. And really what that meant was a spirit of positivity, open curiosity and collaboration and and being interesting and interested in life in general part of part of it was being a well-rounded interesting person you know i trained over a thousand people there in my first few years and i loved meeting these ivy league grads who also grew up as a chicken farmer or you know these people had such interesting stories and the thing i would say i i learned so much about people but i also learned really how to manage complexity. And I was at the company as it grew from 6,000 people to 36,000. So just learning how to create programs that could scale to that many people was a really interesting challenge. And when I was at Google, I thought that I was not cut out to be an entrepreneur. I had always been a straight A student. I'm good at following directions, but there's no way I could make it on my own. And I even had a manager at one point tell me I'm not strategic enough. And so I got that idea in my head that I wouldn't be able to make it on my own. But then only after I left, I realized, oh, all of that experience creating global scalable programs, using new technology, creating things in the cloud, they were extremely helpful then when I started running an online business. And I haven't looked back. And by the way, I'll say that this is now celebrating five and a half years and that through working through the pivot method, which is ultimately what the book became about. I ended up tripling my income that year where I didn't know how to pay the rent. So there is a way through. It's just a little counterintuitive to how some of us approach the change process. Okay. So we'll, we'll we'll actually do a deep dive into the change process. Um, I want to ask one more question uh, about that period of the two weeks before you realized maybe you're going to run out of money and not be able to pay rent. Um, I can tell you having been in situations like that, like that to me is rock bottom. And I mean, it sent me into, you know, a a severe spiral of anxiety, depression, like all the worst things you think are imaginable. Um, I, I'm really curious. I mean, how you managed not to let that period break you? Uh, because I feel like so many people, like, I, I, I know that I would have a really hard time in that situation. It pretty much did break me. And I think that's part of what got me through, which is a weird thing to say, but it did break me. There was a a point, the year was almost over and I woke up and I just said, I am too sensitive for my own life. I can't handle this because not only was my business bank account dwindling, but I was having all kinds of personal rugs get pulled out from under me, a a breakup that I had the hardest time getting over, arguments with friends, family. I mean, it was, it was awful. Every time I thought I turned the corner, a new things smacked me in the face. And I'm not normally a victim in my life. Like, oh, woe is me. Life keeps happening to me. That's really not who I've ever been. And yet, that's how it felt. I think I cried almost every day that year. So that point that I broke, I actually just said, I give up on trying to be happy. I don't, I don't know how to be happy. Just, I just kind of prayed for equanimity. And I read a book called Outrageous Openness at the time, which is about actually turning things over. And this is a more spiritual perspective, and it's not going to be for everybody, but I'll say that it worked for me, which was to just say, I give up. I've tried everything I know how to do. And at this point, I'm calling upon something bigger than myself. And I turn it over to you, universe. 
I trust you. Please just show me the one next step. And that we can kind of, and I, I was meditating every day. I mean, believe me, I was meditating, doing gratitude lists, yoga, all the things. And they didn't work overnight. But I do think having a cons- consistent meditation practice and starting to surrender and just lean into this feeling of breaking, of feeling broken and broken open, I at least knew that I was alive. Mm-hmm. I at least felt that I wasn't depressed. I was acutely sad. And that in that sadness, there was a real aliveness and a richness. And as a creative, I say that, you know, suffering is our quill dipped in ink, that we don't choose bad events to happen to us, but we can transform them. And when we're suffering, I mean, it's not to make light of it, but it's just that uh, so much of cr- creativity, like these moments are grist for the mill. And Srini, I know you talk about this in, in your book, which is that um, when we come out of it, we have a real opportunity to solve this and help others. And that's always been part of my process, which is I'm going to find a way out of this because like this was horrible. And then whatever I figure out, I am definitely going to share with other people because I don't want other people to have to get to that point if they can help it. Hmm. <clears throat> yeah. It's interesting. You bring up meditation. You know, we just had Todd Herman here and, uh, he said, you know, 11 of the top 12 earners in New York city, like we're talking hedge fund billionaires, all credit meditation with, uh, you know, their ability to navigate turbulent times in the markets. I'm like, okay, if hedge fund billionaires are cool with this, I think I'm on board. Yeah. I, Honestly, so I've been meditating daily for three years now, and I've been an anxious person my whole life. And actually, I didn't realize how anxious I was until that lifted. And I would say it lifted right when I was coming out of this last pivot that I'm describing. Something shifted. And really, for these last few years, I've been wondering, when's the other shoe going to drop? Is it possible (laughs) to feel this happy and calm and clear and focused? And I have to... I really think meditation helped rewire my brain because it's like for 31 years I was hitting myself with a hammer and then somehow for the last few I stopped and I'm like, oh my gosh, it feels so good just to wake up like I never felt like this before. Well, I I think that makes a a perfect setup to start really kind of doing a deep dive into what I want to talk about, which is the whole idea of pivot. So um, you think we let's do this. I'd like to start with sort of a high level overview of the entire framework for how people make some sort of change, because I think that the idea of a career change is appealing to so many people. But at the same time, it's also terrifying. Um, So if you can give us an overview uh, first, then we'll do sort of a deep dive into each of the concepts. Yeah, so. When I was going through the rough patch, I came to one of two conclusions. One, either I'm destined to be unhappy forever because I keep hitting these existential crises every few years, and our society really only has two words for them. It's either a midlife crisis or a quarter-life crisis, or this crisis state is accelerating, and we're all going to be experiencing it more frequently. As I started doing research for the book, I realized that the latter was really the case. And so one big concept for people to understand is that I've kind of co-opted pivot from Silicon Valley. This is certainly not a new word or a new concept. But typically when businesses talk about pivoting, it's to change strategy to save the business from collapse. Plan A didn't work, so now they have to pivot or die. And in our careers, it's different. Pivot is now the new normal. That actually pivot is a state of mind and it's a method that I've written about in this book that we can all get better at. Because if we're going to have to be, and it's a privilege also to ask what's next as well. Part of, part of hitting a career plateau or a pivot point is a sign of our success. 
It's actually that, okay, we've reached a certain, you know, in your case with Blogcast FM and then rebranding it into Unmistakable and just finding ways to keep growing. There's a group that I really wrote this book for that um, I call them high net growth individuals that we know, you know, high net worth are people who've earned a lot of money in their lifetime. But for people who are high net growth, they really want to be learning and growing. And then ultimately, when those needs are being met, making an impact. Mm -hmm. So that's the crux of it. And so what makes it a career pivot, I define that as a methodical shift in a new related direction. It's not a 180. And the biggest mistake that I made and the biggest mistake that I see other people making is looking too far outside of themselves for answers. When in reality, the way to be most successful pivoting is look at what's already working. Mm -hmm. Strengths, interests, how you're earning a living, and build really purposely from there. Hmm. Okay, so many, so many different things here. Um, I, I think it's it's really interesting that you've made the observation that this is basically going to become our new normal. I mean, you can kind of see it happening. You know, when you see Uber buy a car, uh, a company that makes self driving trucks, you're thinking to yourself, okay, there goes thousands of jobs right there. Uh, so yeah, I, I think there, there's absolutely something to be said for this. I guess the, the first question really is then where do we begin? Cause I know you talk about an idea of the one year vision in the book as well. And I think, you know, one of the things that I see often is people, one, they create such a, a grand vision of what this pivot looks like that it's too terrifying to make even the first step. Uh, and so they just end up getting paralyzed. So I, I guess really the question is, where do we start? It's really helpful to look at. Because you're right. So many go-getters, their instinct is, I'm at a pivot point, got to make a change, what's out there? And they start scanning for jobs or opportunities or clients if they're self-employed. And actually, that's ineffective and inefficient. So the best place to start is an evaluation of what is already working best, your strengths, your interests, who you know, the experiences you've had to date. And that one-year vision that you described, what does success look like a year from now? I think any farther out, it's kind of silly. You know, if you happen to know more than one year, that's fine. But for Mm -hmm. the most part, things are changing so quickly, you don't need to know. But generally, identifying your known variables so that once you know where you are now and where you'd like to end up, you can more efficiently and effectively bridge that gap in between. And so the part that so many people skip is their current strengths. And if you think of a basketball player, when they stop dribbling, they have one foot firmly planted in the floor and the other, the pivot foot, can scan for opportunity, for passing options. Well, my big mistake and what a lot of people tend to do is like just run around the court like a crazy person. But by grounding down with one foot and that being your strengths and what's already working and what you've already got going for you, that becomes a much better platform from which to scan for related opportunity, people, and projects. So how do you connect the skill um, that you might have, the strengths that you have, to potential opportunity? Like how do you, you know, once you begin that scanning process, how do you identify in scanning what is actually valuable? Because, I mean, you're talking about a world in which we're inundated with inputs. Um, basically, I guess the question is really how do you sift the signal from the noise? Yes. Part of it is exactly as you said, connecting the scanning. What do you want to learn? What do you want to become an expert in? Connecting that to an existing base of strengths. But then ultimately, it's about piloting. And this is about running small experiments, 10, 20% of your time, just like we had 10 or 20% projects at Google, you can do this in your own career or business, where 
we don't know actually. So part of you, you know, you distill some of the noise down, you get some hypotheses about what might be good to pursue next, but ultimately you don't know until you try. So by running small experiments, instead of feeling like you have to go all in on something overnight, takes a lot of the pressure off. And a good pilot will help you test three things. I call them the three E's. One, do I enjoy this new area? Two, can I become an expert at it and do I want to? And three, is there room for expansion? Is there more room in the market or in the company that I work for or in my business to do more of this? Mm -hmm. And so... And to switch metaphors for a moment, some of piloting, if you imagine racehorses at the starting gate con- at the Kentucky Derby or something, we don't know which one's going to pull out ahead. But you can line up several concurrently and then get a sense for your own energy and excitement and momentum and response from others. So I guess the question for me becomes then, let's say that you fail uh, at a pilot or some sort of creative project. I, and I only know this having failed massively at a mm-hmm. creative project uh, where we had to cancel an event after trying to sell tickets. Um, I'm, I'm curious how you navigate the failure of a pilot uh, without losing hope. That's a great question. First, I'm, I'm curious from you, what did you learn from that? Like, So when you experienced that failure, did it inform a f- a move after that for you? Yeah, <laughs> that I don't want to do events ever again. But um, <laughs> no, I mean, it, it, it actually made me rethink the entire strategy for how we would go about it. Um, made me rethink, you know, really understanding, you know, how to survey the audience for more. Um, and also, I realized that I had made a lot of the decisions the second time around based on other people's insight, as opposed to the event that I created. It was a totally different event. And, you know, when I did it my way, it worked. When we did it, the way that was based on an input and insight from a bunch of other people, it fell apart. That's so fascinating. I mean, everything you just said, those are such gems that I'm sure are one other one I think was a lesson in cash flow um, and, and managing the money of it. Uh, You know, realizing that you could go and book an event venue, but you should give yourself an out in such a way that you wouldn't lose any money. Um, And, you know, we, we were lucky enough that the venue gave us a 30 day cancellation clause in, in the thing and gave us our money back. Otherwise we would have been out another five grand. Yeah. But we've kind of learned how to navigate situations like that now. Like I I know how to protect the downside, I would say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's something Nassim Taleb talks about asymmetric risk Mm -hmm. where what risk can you take where there's limited downside or you can protect the downside and high potential upside. And in your case, you're a great example of almost no one I interviewed regretted their pivot choices, Mm -hmm. even when they didn't pan out. And actually I did a bunch of interviews for the book. And when I went back to fact check a year and a half later, almost every single person had changed again by choice and by circumstance. So even though we see these statistics, like the average employee tenure in America is four to five years, that is not what I saw when I was doing research for this book. Now, I may attract really pivoty people, but a lot of them got pivoted. Their company was acquired, then they were fired. They started a business, they folded their business, but nobody regretted the choice to try something. Mm-hmm. I joke that for people who are high net growth, we don't have FOMO, we have font, fear of not trying. Mm-hmm. So the key to a failure or missed mark is absolutely, like you said, mining it for the learning, and then recognizing that the times that pivots tend to fail are when we have turned too sharply from our existing strengths or instinct or intuition, kind of like you said, you're following some shoulds, 
or a lot of direction from others. So it's a good reminder as well of how to look within ourselves for answers and listen and put your ear to the ground to your community. And when a pivot or an experiment is working, it tends to have a universe rolling out the red carpet kind of feeling where every step you take, another roll of the carpet unfurls and a new mentor crosses your path. And so I think we've all had both experiences, both failure and a kind of cold dead end feeling. And then, oh, the magical serendipity of when something really is meant to work. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
Mm-hmm. You know, so one of the things that I, I think about this in terms of, you know, I, I recently wrote a piece on Medium titled Don't Just Increase Your Earnings, Increase Your Earning Potential, um, which, you know, as I think about you describe a pivot, like I keep thinking to myself, what you're really describing is that what you're talking about is increasing earning potential over time. Because what I realized is you could increase your earnings year over year, but if you increase your earning potential, your earnings would increase exponentially, uh, you know, after a certain point. Absolutely. And so much of that has to do not only with skills, because even skills are ever changing in this economy, but also there are three things that I noticed make people really extremely successful and very agile, which is results, reputation, and platform. Number one, can you get results? If you're self-employed for your clients or in your own business, or if you're at a company, what kind of impact are you making? Two, reputation is do people know about it? And then three, platform is being able to then extend your reach and be dis- become discoverable. So just like our Bluetooth devices have to be discoverable in order to pair to each other, the more discoverable that a person is through their platform or submitting to sites like Medium or podcasting, whatever it is, then people start knocking down your door. So the most agile pivoters that I saw and that I interviewed for this book are discoverable so much to the point where not only is their earning potential high, but their client or income potential is coming to them, which I find really interesting. Hmm. So that raises a question um, that I, I don't remember who it was that I had interviewed, and I wish I had asked, but I didn't. It was Todd Henry because we ta- or Todd Herman because we talked about ninety days as sort of the timeline for goals, given how fast the world moves. How do you balance this need to go quickly? with the need to commit to something for an extended period of time in order to actually see a result from it? I would say the need to go quickly, it depends on the individual because if someone feels like they're really on track and on purpose, there's there doesn't have to be a sense of needing to move quickly in that way. It's more like, great, keep investing in what you're doing. But certainly, and I was a big concern of mine that, oh no, if I'm writing this book on pivoting, I don't want people to think I'm just encouraging reckless job hopping. Mm -hmm. On the other hand, I think there's a lot of shame and blame in the media for people who do want to pursue meaningful work. So the balance, I I kind of borrow terms from the financial world. Unrealized gains means you haven't stayed long enough to really see the fruits of your labor, whether that's in terms of results that you've gotten, reputation, or even financial, like a bonus or annual salary or stock options. But then on the other hand, if you stay for too long, you experience diminishing returns. So if you wait too long to change and don't take action, that's where you often will get pivoted and change chooses you. So I think it's really important to continuously check in and do know about that spectrum. Some some people have a propensity to quit too soon. Mm-hmm. Some have a propensity to stay too long. So first, I think it's knowing yourself. And then second, I think having a mindset of experimentation protects you a little bit from really sharp, jarring pivot points in either direction. Because by experimenting and learning continuously, you've always got irons in the fire. You know, it's just like having multiple streams of income as a solopreneur, that if one goes, okay, you've got some other ones. Same thing with our skills and becoming, as you said, increasing our earning potential that we can't be future. None of us can predict the future. And as much as it's smart to try and look ahead and ask what the market's going to need or want from us where we can actually provide it, we there's not a 100% guarantee. So 
trying a lot of different things, I think is really valuable. So, you know, you mentioned that some people get pivoted or forced into a pivot, and it's it brought up something for me. You know, as I was thinking about this, uh, you know, like even when I asked Todd Herman, Salim Ismail brought this up. He said often what results in change, the change that we're seeking to make is some sort of forcing function uh, because like I know for a fact that I started unmistakable. I started doing everything I did because I didn't have a job lined up after business school. I don't know that I would have had the same attitude if I'd had my cushy, you know, uh, high paid marketing job at Intuit after my internship. Like if that had happened, I can't help but wonder if my attitude would have been really different about this. And I, I'm just curious, uh, you know, why you think it is that some people require a forcing function and if they haven't had that forcing function, is there something they can do to bring it about? Hmm. That's a good question. I, you know, I do think everyone's different and what motivates people is, you know, it's different and especially even family and upbringing so often, you know, I know in your case, Srini, you had a lot of pressure from your family to pursue a certain path. And so that is like a 10x magnifier on your current fears. If you were going to think about leaving that path on your own, you had this like really intense external pressure not to do that. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's even a big obstacle to overcome, where in your case, like you said, it's kind of a, then an outside impetus helps you move in that direction. But as for how people can cultivate it, one thing I love is just really thinking about okay, if you're the main character in a movie, why is this scene happening for you right now in this moment, in this exact way? What are you meant to learn? If we're all chewing on popcorn, watching you, the main character, run around the screen, you know, what are we rooting for here? What do we want to really see happen? And so, and I didn't make up this exercise. There's actually research that it shows that people feel a lot more empowered when they think of themselves as a character in a movie. And so that's kind of a fun way to, instead of just being so fearful about change or uncertainty or fear or insecurity, we can relate to every movie we've ever ever watched and the hero's journey archetype and say, oh my goodness, yes, I'm the hero here. And um, it's right before my breakthrough. And here's what needs to happen. And most people, when they think through that lens, can see the gifts in the garbage, if you will, can see how, oh yeah, this challenge right now is this epic preparation for the next evolution of myself and my journey. Mm-hmm. You know, one other idea that you, you talked about um, in the book was this notion of a career portfolio, which I, I found really fascinating because, you know, when we had Chase Jarvis here, he said more and more we're moving towards a portfolio model of careers where, you know, if you look at especially kids who are growing up now, he said they're going to probably have five jobs at the same time based on on where the economy is going. So I'm wondering if you could kind of expand on that idea of the career portfolio and what you mean by it and how you define it and, you know, how do, how do people, in, you know, re- incorporate that into their lives? I see the career portfolio as assets. So just like we would diversify a financial portfolio in terms of stocks, bonds, domestic, international, value, growth, we can do the same thing in terms of our suite of career options. You know, I also use the metaphor of thinking of your career like a smartphone. Your education and your upbringing is your out-of-the-box model, and then it's up to you to download apps for different skills, experiences, and education that you want. So part of having a robust and anti-fragile career portfolio is being diversified. And, you know, you mentioned 
it's like we, we, we hear a lot of terms about this now. So like having five jobs or back when you and I were first starting the blog world, the, the term was slash careers. Now we hear things like gig economy or project-based economy. All of it is pointing in a similar direction, which is that we've sort of started to drop the expectation that any one company is going to be our sole sunshine and provider for the rest of our life. And that if we're self-employed, even one stream of income is going to be that sole provider. There will be exceptions to this rule, but the more that we can diversify, uh, the, the more fun I think we'll have at the same time. So part of it now is just reframing and taking the pressure off of ourselves to have to line up the most perfect career plan for the next 30 years and to understand that that's no longer really even possible. That's why the subtitle of my book, it's called Pivot, the only move that matters is your next one, which is kind of a nod to Zen or Buddhism, which is like, be present. The, the only move that matters and that you can really make and plan for is your next one. Maybe two moves out, you know, if you need to make a smaller pivot to get where you really want to go. But beyond that, things change too quickly. And so there's no need to even put pressure on ourselves to, um, you know, as, as you mentioned, this idea of having five careers in a lifetime. I mean, that's the new normal. Some people would even say the word career is dead. Because <laughs> what is a career at this point? Yeah, I well, I love that question of, of what is a career at this point. You know, it, it's so weird because if you had told me what I'm doing as a career, I would have told you that's laughable 10 years ago or even when right. I was in college. I've like, had friends that I went to college with recently contact me who have heard me on other shows. And I'm just like, wow, this is really weird. It doesn't sound like a job or a career. I mean, the last time I had to submit a resume and interview for a job was in 2005. And so I know that's not the case for everybody, but sure. it's weird. I grew up in a world that in college where that's what you do. You, you, the resume was the end all be all. And now, yes, there are definitely still places uh, that want resumes, but on the other hand, you can totally make it. And the resume, instead of this two sheet piece of paper becomes the platform. And even when I was doing my life after college blog on the side, people have asked me, oh, were you worried that Google would find out? Well, they knew I was doing it. I, I even had a coworker come up to me at breakfast one day and say, sorry to hear about your breakup because he had read about it on my blog. <laughs> but that when I wanted to pivot internally from the AdWords product training team to the career development team, one of the things that got me the job was that they saw I had this life after college blog on the side. And they said, Oh, this girl does this in her free time. Yeah. Like she's clearly a fit for the role. And so, um, our, our resumes are now much more three dimensional and kind of living, breathing. And I know that puts pressure. Not everybody wants to brand the hell out of everything and nor should you have to, but just this idea that we can express ourselves fully in many different ways. And then the right projects and people will be attracted to that. Yeah. I mean, I guess for, for somebody like me, I see that as a huge asset, you know, to, to live in a world where we get rewarded for full self-expression and, and the fact that, you know, we find work because of being fully self-expressed, not this two-dimensional sort of version that we're only able to portray, you know, through words on paper. In fact, I think as you were kind of describing that whole process and, and that whole experience, I, I couldn't help but think back to something AJ Leon uh, wrote in his uh, essay, the life and, essay collection, the life and times of remarkable misfit. He said when he left his, his investment banking job, he realized that there was far more to him that can, that then could possibly be expressed in a place with so many rules. 
And that always stayed with me because I thought, yeah, but that's exactly what we do in so many working environments to people. We put them in environments where they can't express themselves. Yeah. And I think it's really hard, even when you're self-employed, not to think about the rules. Just like you said, when you were planning your event for the second time, all the shoulds Mm -hmm. and following what everyone else is doing online. And man, that had me chasing my tail for so long, trying to follow the typical online marketer model, let's call it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it didn't work for me. I would, every time I would love creating courses and products, I would love facilitating them. It's really similar to what I did at Google. When it came time to doing a launch sequence or something, I would just get hives. So I think it's really interesting. We can start to pay attention. You know, I say it's like the hotter, colder game we used to play as kids. I don't know if you did, but where you hide something around the house. And if you had siblings or friends, you hide something. And then as they're looking, you say, hot, hot, hotter, on fire, if they're getting really close. Or if not, cold, cold, colder, freezing. And so... I think part of this too, especially in terms of self-expression, we've got to follow the hotter indicators and trust that the right people in our community will still be there. And I have to say that some of the things I've been most afraid to do or write about in my business are the things that get me the most coaching clients. Like I'm going to be working abroad from the, for the month of January. And I would think, oh, no one's Nobody's going to reach out and want to work with me. And instead, I I got the most clients in the history of my business because just the way that I was living was something that was interesting to people. And I think that's really important to remember, too. Like, we kiss, life is just far too short to live based on what we think others want to see from us. And it's not even possible. I don't think I could do it if I tried. (laughs) My body would pitch a fit, which it has done in the past. So, you know, having done all this research as a a byproduct of this book, and I I realize I'm basically asking you to predict the future, but, uh, you know, it's worth a shot. What do you think the future of work is going to look like? Having worked at a place like Google, having done all this research, having kind of navigated the post-college career transition and also having written this book, like what is the future of work going to look like based on your research? There's two main things that have jumped out. One comes from a book called Humans Are Underrated uh-huh. by Jeff Colvin. Yep. He says we're shifting from being knowledge workers to relationship workers. And that's really true. As skills like empathy and person-to-person communication, look how much podcasting is taking off. It's, it's wild. It's like we got so oversaturated in terms of written words online, but podcasts are quite intimate. And it's this relationship that's happening both with you and me recording and then everybody listening. And so considering how we can become relationship workers in whatever it is we're doing, and that's not to say that everyone has to be like a warm and fuzzy career coach. No, but how does what you're doing relate and serve other people? And how can you add that piece around empathy and intuition and some of these right brain skills? And then to complement that, the other big trend that I'm seeing, and I've talked about, so my friend, um, Professor Tom Guariello, we collaborated on creating a pivot pivotability index. So people can take this survey and understand your pivot profile. His platform is called RoboPsych, and it's the psychology of human-robot interaction. So the other main skill that if, if I, if, for me personally, what I am going to try and get better at is robot whispering and AI whispering. We can already see examples of this. It's how effectively can you Google? How effectively do you talk to Siri? How effectively do you talk to Alexa? If you have an Alexa, which I do, she's probably going to wake up right now. (laughs) um, So starting to practice like that, you know, for me, my next skill, I'm going to teach myself how to build a bot. Mm -hmm. 
Bots are automated. So the, the White House just launched a bot where you can write to the White House through Facebook Messenger. And it's not a person communicating with you. It's a bot. That's like Slack. If anyone uses Slack, there's a Slack bot that's quite helpful when you have questions or you need things. So learning and being willing. So I guess I'll say a meta skill is being willing to roll up your sleeves and suck at something, especially if it's new technology and do it anyway. So when I was launching my Pivot podcast, I didn't have the budget to have an editor. So I just opened GarageBand. I downloaded intro and outro music myself. I taught myself how to edit it by awkwardly Googling. I had two sharp S's. And so I Googled like how to make S's go away. And I learned there's a thing called a de-esser. You know, I mean, I taught myself. And so, uh, it doesn't mean that we have to become the best at every technical skill, but be open enough to teach yourself new things. Because the biggest barrier heading into a future like we are would be for people to say, oh, I'm just not good at that and not try, which some of you may have experienced if you have a parent or a grandparent who maybe was trying to learn how to use their iPhone and they're like, I just don't know. I give up. Hmm. Wow. Um, so I want to ask you a few last questions. Uh, one is, is sort of about your daily sort of habits, routines, rituals. Um, you know, how do you stay productive? How do you stay creative? Uh, you know, all these, of course, are for my own personal curiosity, given that my next <laughs> book is about this. Um, what are your day-to-day habits, systems, routines, and rituals like? I have really strong uh, morning wind-up routines and evening wind-down rituals. Number one, sleep is paramount. I am that crazy person that will go to bed at 8 p.m. sometimes, which in the summer means the sun has not even set yet and I'm (laughs) in bed. But it's because I cherish the morning so much. And typically at night past 8, if I'm not out with friends, I'm just watching TV and eating food. So for me, I'd rather go to bed and then wake up before the sun rises. That's an, in an ideal world, but I don't use an alarm. Uh-huh. And so I'll wake up when I've had enough sleep, usually eight to nine hours, have tea, read a nonfiction book, or maybe listen to a podcast. Then I meditate for 20 minutes. And then I don't even, I don't even check email till 10 or 11 a.m. So then when I do go to sit down at the computer after, let's say, two hours of wind up, then I will work on my highest priority tasks. I've usually identified them the night before. I use a moleskin daily planner notebook. And so for the first hour or two, which is my most creative, productive, focused window, I work on important projects, strategic projects for my business. And then only from, let's say I'll do an hour of an email sprint from 10 to 11 or 11 to 12, and then I'll do calls 12 to 3. And then I usually leave the house. And go to yoga or go meet a friend for coffee. My brain is mush in the afternoon. So I don't even try to do strategic work or even phone calls or podcasts at that point. And then I also stop checking email after 6 p.m. because I do tend toward anxiety. So I don't want to see anything later in the evening that's going to stress me out if I'm not going to, because I don't open my laptop at night. So if I'm not going to take action on it that day, I don't even, even want to see it. <laughs> past a certain point in the day. And I also do bulletproof tea in the morning, which means that I don't eat until two or three in the afternoon. And that also helps keep me really sharp and focused. Yeah, well, I I appreciate the sleep perspective because that's one that um, I know has made a profound difference for me. Like I, I'm kind of like you, like there are nights when I go to sleep by nine o'clock and people are like, what the (laughs) hell? You're like an old man. I'm like, that's what happens when you're a surfer. You, You get used to getting up at five in the morning. Um, 
I think the the other thing that you brought up that's really interesting is the shutdown. Uh, you know, Cal Newport and I talked about that briefly, and I was just thinking about this yesterday. I was like, I'm really good at my morning ritual. I need to work on the evening one a lot more because uh, it's like you said, I, I'm, I know I'm prone for anxiety. So it's like if I see something in the inbox at 6 o'clock, Tim Ferriss talks about this. He says you should never check your email on weekends because he said, let's say you get something in the right. email that you can't deal with over the course of the weekend. He said, then your whole weekend is shot to hell. Totally. And I think the reason that we go to check at night is just we want that little dopamine hit. Like, what came in? Is there anything exciting? Because kind of at night is, for me at least, it's a little bit of a witching hour. Mm -hmm. Like, if I don't have plans, I'm kind of, what am I going to do with myself? And I'll maybe, you know, I'll watch a show or two on Hulu or Netflix. But yes, I make a point to light a candle. I have slightly lower lighting. I I really do try not to be checking email or on my phone and and I'll even do sleepy time tea. So it just all those things just help me start to get ready for bed and feel tired and um yeah, but it's it's hard not to want to just go be like, is there anything exciting for me? You know, I talked to Cal about that too, and I love his thoughts on all this. Yeah. Well, uh, this has been amazing. So I have one last question for you, which you've probably heard me ask. What do you think it is that makes somebody or something unmistakable? Well, first, let me just say, I love your definition of unmistakable so much. And I don't think I could ever trump yours. And your book is fantastic. <laughs> so I know everyone listening to this podcast is already a Srini and unmistakable fan. But I really loved it. Your book was so inspiring for me. So thank you, Srini. I think what makes somebody unmistakable is an internal zest for life and an energy and a passion that comes from going with the flow of their own life and energy and strengths and interests. And when someone is pursuing those things and they're just lit up because of it, it is contagious. And I love being around those people and I strive to be that person myself. And I think that's what that to me is unmistakable, which is just not just what someone is producing in the world, but how they're going about it. Mm. Well, uh, I think that makes a really uh, fitting way to wrap up our conversation. Uh, This has just been fantastic. You've you've packed it with so many insightful nuggets. Where can people learn more about you and your work? Thank you so much. People can learn more at pivotmethod.com. You can learn all about the book. And if you want to take the pivotability self-assessment, you can go to pivotmethod.com slash profile. And then I also have a podcast. So you can look up Pivot Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Awesome. And for everybody listening, we will wrap the show with that. Next time on The Unmistakable Creative. My mom, I think, was... Uh, a tremendous advocate of that balance. Um, you know, my mom really was heavily, a heavy nurturer of my creativity, you know, um, always find a, a, a new way of approaching it. Always um, uh, be yourself, you know, always allow your authenticity to shine through in whatever you're doing. And, and I mean, you know, that's not, it's not always easy or sexy because, you know, when I was a kid, my mom was like, I, I, was, I was a Berkeley baby. So let's just understand, you know, <laughs> like I, I was a child of like Berkeley revolutionaries. You know what I mean? Like moms was 
getting hit on by Huey Newton and participating in the in the very first Kwanzaa ceremonies when it was like twelve people in the living room, you know, and just at the forefront and at the forefront and cutting edge of all things that are sexy now. You know, she was a futurist and she was doing yoga and she was, you know, teaching Lamas in our living room and, you know, she, we grew up vegetarian and so forth. You know, and all of that was manageable. But my mom had a bald head, Trini. Okay. My mom had a bald head. Spoken word poet Seiko Andrews joins us to talk about how to rock any stage we stand on. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Have you ever felt a twinge of worry about AI taking over your job or diluting your creativity? Well, what if you could turn that fear into creative fuel? We've just published an amazing new ebook called The Four Keys to Success in an AI World. And this is more than just a guide. It's a deep exploration into the human skills that AI can't touch the skills that are essential for standing out and thriving, no matter how much technology evolved. We're talking about real differentiators here, like creativity, emotional intelligence, critical thinking, and much more. Inside, you'll find actionable insights and strategies to develop these skills, whether you're a creative person, a business person, or just simply someone who loves personal development. 
This isn't a story about tech taking over. It's a story of human creativity thriving alongside AI. Picture this, AI as your creative co-pilot, not just as a tool, but a collaborator that enhances your unique human skills. The Four Keys ebook will show you exactly how to do that and view AI in a new way that empowers you instead of overshadows you. Transform your creative potential today. Head over to unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys. Use the number four, K-E-Y-S. That's unmistakablecreative.com slash four keys and download your free copy.